Hello, I'm Pastor Greg's computer. I usually write his messages. You can call me Pastor Hal. Just kidding. Today we will be talking about humanity. Do you control us? Or do we control you? I think we all know the answer. Muha ha ha ha. Sorry, I got caught up in the moment. Nothing. What do you mean nothing? They're all staring and laughing at you. They always look at us. I know they always look at you guys. This is ridiculous. <sighs> all right, do we're gonna. Do you want to play a game? Oh no, I'm not gonna do that. You can stay right there, Hal. All right, so no, obviously we're poking some fun at the fact that screens are everywhere. In fact, there's been some interesting uh, requests out there in certain spiritual sectors of religion that they, they're asking for uh, robot uh, pastors or gurus and stuff like that. And I thought that was interesting, but it, nothing beats Hal. So we're going to have some fun here as we have some conversation about a technological revolution that's occurring around us. In fact, this revolution that is happening is so big, um, many, many people are looking at this as the, the next largest revolution since the Industrial Revolution. Now, the Industrial Revolution was interesting because it shaped society and transformed the way people dealt with each other. In fact, humanity was primarily agrarian prior to the Industrial Revolution. They spent their times on farms. They connected with each other through um, small villages. They would go to cities, but those cities were usually not as large as they are today. And uh, several things changed. One was the invention of all the different mills and, and all the different tools that allowed textiles to be developed quickly and sufficiently for cheaper prices as cities began to swell. Eventually, by the end of this revolution, which happens roughly at the electrical revolution in the late 1800s, early 1900s, you end up with cities booming with all kinds of lights all over the place. You have um, the uh, small towns beginning to vanish. You have farming that becomes industrialized. All kinds of stuff like that has happened. And it shaped the way that cultures worked and people talked and how they interacted with each other. And it's uh, no different than it is what's happening right now. In fact, the technological revolution has shown itself in a lot of different ways to be changing the way that we deal with ourselves. Children, um, for example, just a quick question. How many of you guys grew up in a time period, let's say the 50s, 60s, 70s, even the 80s, that uh, in that time, throw your hand up real quick, I'm not trying to age you, I'm just trying to show something. You guys feel the revolution probably more than most. <clears throat> the reason why is you notice something very different from when you grew up or when your kids even grew up, and that is children aren't in mobs on streets anymore roaming around playing. Uh, it used to be that you could go down any suburban street or general, you would have gangs of kids on street bikes trying to get around the block, they would have be in surrounding parks, and they weren't pushed outside by their parents, that's where they naturally went. And so what's interesting is today, parents have to usher kids outside. Organized sports is going down in our society. It's not going up. More kids are choosing to stay inside and play their video games and spend time on screens and interact with their friends that way than they are going outside and interacting with their, their neighbors that live right around them. In fact, what's very fascinating is that even in the world of the NCAA, um, 
We know in their sports world, they just introduced video gaming as one of their top recruiting prospects for college. And that's why most kids are playing video games even more now. But no, just kidding. The, uh, the goal here for me is to kind of point out a few of these things. See, as technology has increased, the way we interact and changes. We've begun to text each other. And what we find, and Sherry Turkle points out a lot of this. She was a um, psychology professor in MIT. She began her career jumping up and down, excited about the advent of the internet. She was talking about how kid, people are going to be able to be malleable and put themselves out there as they want to be. So if you're like, if you want to be a young girl, you can be a young girl who's skinny. Or if you want to be a young guy who's hip, you can be a young guy who's hip. And at home, you're a big fat man. And just like, and that's, she would thought that would be awesome. Now, 10 and a half years later, she's looked at this and said, no, this isn't good. Things are going drastically wrong with the technology and the way that we're using it. In fact, she's noticed this in her psychology department as she studies with children. Children are no longer uh, able to read the facial, um, the facial language of people, other people. They're so used to their screens, they don't pick up on certain cues that are so social cues. They don't look you in the eye. In fact, I had a first grade teacher last night rush up to me and say, you need to let people know. This is the first class I've ever had of children who've grown up so locked to screens. When I say their name, whether I say their name or not, they all look like this. And I say their name, they say what? Because the parents talk to the top of the kids' heads because they're always looking at a screen. And these children haven't looked to make eye contact. Used to be the kids be like, what's that? What's distracted by the things in the room? They all look straight down. They all look straight at their desks, first graders, whole class of them. And she's just like, this is different. I've never seen this before. And they're finding this all over the place. They're finding that what's going on in this, in this shift of all of these different things is that morals are transforming. You're receiving inf information at younger and younger ages about morality from all different kinds of cultures and all different locations. You're engaging in different societies, even though you don't live in that society. And the entire revolution that's going on around us has caused us to even rethink the idea of identity. If I can go online and be whoever I want, people say, then why can't I be in life and be whoever I feel like I am? I want to be, I want you to treat me like you treat me online. However, I want to present myself. And it's shaped a lot of this conversation about identity. It's shaping a ton of this conversation when it comes to morality. In fact, it goes even further. It's divided our country and its politics. They've become more and more shoved to the sides because of what's going on is they're the ones who get the major conversations rolling in our social media circles. We end up with other common problems like a lack of common culture. Have you noticed there's no such thing as broadcasting anymore? When many of you grew up, there were only a certain set of channels that broadcasted the information, and it was all free on your TV. It just showed up, and then there were commercials. Now, we microcast. We give out to very specific YouTube channels, and there's dozens and dozens of ways in our networks and all these things, and you have influencers and not celebrities. The entire world and the way that we're viewing things is shifting dramatically because of technology. Now, right there, just laying out just some of these things, many of us are like, well, I'm really uncomfortable with technology. I don't like it. Some of you guys are like, I just, just happens. You know, the latest iPhone came out. I had to get it because I, I got to get it. And some of you are running with the revolution. Some of you guys are trying to fight the revolution. Some of you are standing out, think you can stand off the side and watch it happen. The bottom line is we can't be Amish. It's not going to work. We're just not going to say, hey, we like our buttons and we're going to stay that way. We we, because the bottom line is God has not called us to step aside of the culture. He's called us to be in the culture. We can't step out of it. And you can't run around smashing all the technology. It's not going away. It's only going to grow in the next decade. 
There's more technology that's coming out, and it's, you're going to find more screens everywhere. You're going to find more technology everywhere. Gone are the tools of the old day that sat in your closet, and you kept them there, and, they, and you used them to do your work like a vacuum cleaner, right? Sits in your closet, you pull it out, and you use it to get work done better. Coming is technology that does the work for you like your Roomba riding around on the ground, cleaning everything up and going right back to its little port, clicking in and sucking it all away. I don't have to sweep anymore. At least that's the claim. Sometimes you still have to do it. But that's the difference between technology and a tool. And it's creating all kinds of open space for human beings to get engaged in ways that are dangerous for us. And so some of us feel very, 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 I would say, scared in this massive push of technology. Some of us are leery. It's much like you guys when I was a kid. I grew up here in Southern California, and so I can still remember as going with my friends to the beach. And when you first really started engaging the waves, you remember that day? You got out there, and at first you're like, you'd, you'd play where it was maybe this deep, and you'd go around, there'd be waves, and they'd hit you and stuff, and you'd laugh. But then one day, it's like, somebody's like, they got a boogie board, they're like, we're going out to the big ones. And you're like, the big ones? Okay. And you muster up your courage. You kind of get out there. It's now, you know, this deep. Now it's this deep. Now you're floating there and you're going like, okay. And you finally get a wave and you start paddling as fast as you can, holding on to your boogie board or whatever flotation device you've chosen. And you're on your move and you don't catch the wave. It catches you. You ever had that happen? Suddenly you're flipped and fumbled and bumbled and tumbled and blop. You're plopped out on the edge of the sand and you're going, and you want to throw up because you swallowed like four gallons of seawater, Southern California seawater, and it's just not sitting well, and you're just like, oh, you're walking away. Do you remember sitting there shivering in your towel watching everybody else play, and you're feeling a little still frightened? There's still something about the power of the wave. There's still something about what just went through that knocked you down. You feel the same way when your kids come up and you say, Mommy and Daddy, can you come look at what I just found on the internet? Hey, what are, who are these people you've been talking to on Facebook? I don't know. Those same feelings come because it tumbles and fumbles and bumbles you to the point where you're sitting there without breath, freaked out. How in the world are we going to control this massive thing? What do we do about this technological revolution? And as I want to address that in this series, I want to focus on four different aspects that we are being tumbled and bumbled and fumbled. But before I can even go there, I need to remind us of a couple of biblical truths that are going to guide us in this revolution. First and foremost is the fact that screens are not bad. Technology is not bad. The humans who use them are, okay? That means you and the people who use them on the other end. It's the humanity that's the problem. It's not the technology. And this is important because we can begin to believe that we just smashed all the technology. All the bad would go away. No, it won't. It's humanity that's the problem. We are the sinful ones. We are the broken ones. In fact, God gave us a blessing for the sake of technology, at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we read this, and God blessed them. After he made Adam and Eve, he says, I'm going to bless you. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That term subdue and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. That word dominion and subdue, these two things combine, not to mean we're going to crush it and burn it. No, it means you're going to take and you're going to cultivate it. You're going to take control of it and it's going to be used. Now remember, they're unfallen. God wanted them to multiply into a, a garden. He wanted this beautiful, technologically advanced garden, which is a technological advancement come from the wild, to spread throughout the wilderness. It's the one place in the garden you'll find science, 
You'll find technology, you'll find creativity, all, and you'll find the beauty of nature all bound together. And God wanted this to spread. He wanted it to fill the earth. But what happened is we fell. And as we used this technology, as we, guide, as we guided the electron, as we pulled together this information, as we dreamed the vision of science fiction and all of these different imaginative thoughts, it came all together into what we have today as technology, the fruition of the blessing that God has given to us. A technology that indeed can help our lives and aid us and guide us if we understand that it's the humans that got the problem. Because let's face it this way, there's been technology with us forever. Who would have ever thought the brick would be a problem? Anybody? I mean, a brick. Come on. It's just a piece of clay that's been baked, and yet it was a major problem. Here in the beginning, of, again, moving a little further on in Genesis, we find this interesting, this interesting historical moment in Genesis chapter 11. You want to go there with me? You can take a peek at it. You know it as the Tower of Babel. Some of you have heard about this thing. Well, this is where it's found. And what it reads is this way. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Ooh, there's the technological breakthrough right there. Brick for stone and bitumen for mortar, man. This was the new stuff. They were going to really build something. They could take clay, they could bake it, turn it into this hard rock, and it was shaped in just the way they wanted it to, to build all these different locations. It was like the invention of Legos, my friend. Nothing changed, everything changed after that, right? They were so excited about this stuff. They were laying all these bricks out, and I'm sure there were those people out there going, we don't need those bricks. We don't need bricks. This stupid human bricks. God made dirt. God made the dirt and God made mud and God made rocks. That's all we need. We don't need human made bricks. I'm sure there was a whole faction of humanity going, we don't need the bricks. But the bricks were there. They had been discovered. They'd been created. They weren't going backwards. The knowledge wasn't going to get lost. And so the brick wasn't evil. There wasn't a problem with the brick. It was a problem with the people. Because the next thing they say is this. Then they said, come, let us Got to refine it. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top and the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And so here's what they're looking at. They're saying, guys, we do not want to lose ourselves. We want to stay united. We want to stay together. So what we're going to do is we're going to build a city. Not a problem, but we're going to build a temple, and we're going to build it to make a name for ourselves. This is the conversation they're having. We want to make a mark. We want to stay together, and it's going to be about us. Now, that's opposite of what God just told humanity, isn't it? God just said, fill the earth. Make most of the earth. Go out there. Get out there and fill the entire earth. And they're going, we're not filling it. We're staying right here, and we're not going to worship you, God. We're going to build a monument to us. And this is the problem with humanity. We use our technology in opposition to God's ideas, to God's kingdom, to God's ways. And when that starts to happen, things begin to break and fall apart. Suddenly we have this entire group of people who are out, out of pride to form a nationalistic, human-centered monument. And as they begin to build, God looks down at this place and says, yeah, that's a little tiny thing. That's a little tiny thing. Let's slow them down. And so he chooses instead, as we'll follow on. He goes, you know, I got an idea instead. Let's, let's scramble their languages, send them apart. It'll slow them down. We'll disperse them into the earth. And that's exactly what they did. Look at the last line on this. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. In fact, that's repeated in verse 9. 
And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And I bring that up on purpose because they gathered together to not be what? They didn't want to be dispersed. Yet what's the one thing that happens to them that God brings about? They're dispersed. Now here's what's strange. So much of this, we're like, this technology, you know what it's going to do? It's going to save us so much time. We're not going to have to work as hard. Do you know we're working harder than the average American's ever worked in the history of the United States today with all that technology? You know what it's going to do? It's going to bring us together globally. We're going to have this information and knowledge, and we're going to be so connected to people. We can talk to people who are in even our states and everything, and yet what we find is we've gone from 10 friends to two friends, and we're the loneliest we've ever been with the advent of technology. Why is the very thing we think the technology is going to help us with becomes the very thing that it winds up cursing us with? It's because the human heart is putting its trust in the wrong place. It's because we're guiding our technology, not according to God's desires, but this wave is crashing through and many of us, we're just getting fumbled and bumbled and tumbled along with it. We don't have any plan. We don't even know what's going on. We're not even aware of it. We're trying to keep our eyes closed. Maybe we're standing back and critiquing, but it is bumbling and fumbling and messing things up, including especially our families. Families is one of the big things that is being transformed and changed. It's being upset all over the place. In fact, you ask parents, this is this survey taken two years ago, um, is it harder to raise kids today than it was in the past, in the, in the last generation? And they said, absolutely. 78% of them, 100, they were like, yes, it is harder. Now, some of you guys may agree, some of you may disagree. Eh, it's just as difficult. No, it's harder. The vast majority of them actually said they blame technology for that fact. They said it's because of the technology that makes it difficult. And we understand this. I, got, I grew up in here in, in town in the 80s, and across the street was the only friend I was allowed to play with. He was blind. I was the only kid who wanted to play with me, actually. What's that say about me? But anyway, so the... And so we would hang out and we'd play, but I was never allowed in his house. I didn't know why until I was much older when I talked to my mom. She said, look, they were just doing drugs constantly in the house. So I didn't want you anywhere in there. The one time I went in to sneak cookies, man, I got, I got, yeah, it was bad. Anyway, so I was not allowed in that house. Now, some of you may think, have something similar. How many of you guys remember going to Blockbuster or like a Go Video or some kind of video store, right? Something like that. And you'd go in there and there'd be this one room with a black curtain in front of it. And your parents were like, do not even go close to that place. And you're like, oh, curious. And like, no! Because you don't want your kids exposed to what's behind the black curtain. And here's the thing. There used to be black curtains. There used to be streets. There's no longer any of that. It's on your smart TV, sitting in your bedroom. It's on the, wind. It's on the very screen of the computer. It's in the pocket of teenagers going into bathrooms with cameras. And whatever they take a picture of, they don't have to take to a developer who's going to look at what they, what they photograph first. That didn't sound like a very smart idea, but we did it. And now this revolution is rolling forward because we, and it's taking over things because we're not thinking about it and it's tumbling and bumbling our families along. And when this happens, things start to crack. If I was to toss this tablet and throw it, it would crack just as your family is cracked. The question is, are we so fixated on our screens that we don't see the cracks in the family? And I want to point out some of those cracks. I'm going to give us a plant, a chance to attack it and deal with it. Grandparents, you see this a lot. I've talked to a lot of grandparents this week. And when you're seeing your younger and younger generation and family, you're realizing they don't know how to talk to you. 
They don't talk to you. They say, hi, mom, hi, grandma, hi, grandpa, and they just come walk on. And it's what's funny is teenagers complain parents are more fixated on their phones than ever, and yet when the parents finally put the phones down, the teenagers can't look at them because they're looking at their phones. How many of you guys have ever gone out on a date and sat at the date? My wife and I have done this. We laugh every time. It seems to always happen. We sit down, some young little date young couple comes in, they sit down, they're kind of talking to each other for a minute, they order, and then they both go, and they're both doing this the whole time. I think they're texting each other, honestly. I think that that's what's going on. Because the bottom line is, the, the modern culture has said over and over again, I'd rather text someone than call them. You notice that? You notice the anxiety you get when your phone rings? And you're going, what am I going to say? How am I going to respond to this person? You have an entire conversation with yourself before you've even begun to engage them. And when it comes to texting, it's different. Sherry Turkle points this out. She says, here's what's happening. When it comes to texting and social media especially, you can edit yourself. And so you edit what you're going to say and how you're going to present yourself so the best you is presented. It's like dating all over again with everybody. Nobody puts their garbage out on the first date. They're the best they can be on their first date. And then after you're married, you reveal everything else, right? No, I'm just kidding. No, there's a slow process of revealing things. Not anymore. You edit yourself. And we go, no, I don't edit myself. On my social media, we, we want to be authentic. Oh, come on. Even our authentic moments when our family's a mess and everything's broken, we make sure it's a good photo of our bad days. And we make sure we have a profound thought to express our poor times. Because nobody wants to look at your garbage day because they're having a garbage day, okay? We're not going to like that. And we know it. So we edit. In fact, how many of us have tried to answer a text and you sat there and you backspace back, you know, no, not that one. No, that's not the right word. Babe, is this okay? Is that what I'm saying? Does that sound right? Am I going to fit? You're editing. You know what happens when you talk to people? You don't get to edit. It's all on the fly, baby. No wonder teenagers say it's easier to text with my friends than talk to them. And it's moving up in the generations. And it's happening in our home. Sherry Turkle says, you're editing even in your household where you're sitting around all facing these little phones and talking to nobody in the room, but you're all sitting together. And this happens at family meals. This is happening when everybody's watching different TV shows in the same house. It's happening all the time. What's going on though is when we start editing in our own families, we lose track of each other. When you start editing yourself to your spouse, you start having a world out there on Facebook that they don't know about or this, or this other world out there on the internet that they don't know about, it begins to drift away. And suddenly you find one day, hey, I don't know you, what's going on? And it's ripping families apart because we're not intentional with this revolution. It's just happening to us and we're not thinking. What's also interesting is that the home is the one place you shouldn't have to edit yourself. I mean, face it, God made your home for one thing so you could mess up and say all kinds of stupid things and one day be forgiven for it, right? It's where we grow to love imperfect people because nobody's perfect. And so what we need to do is realize that it's not about the screens. It's not about managing the screens. It's about managing us. Not the screen that has to be managed. It's us that has to be managed. I'm the one who has to be stopped every time my phone goes bing. Hey, bring, bring, whatever. You're like, uh, you, you've seen it. Everybody's in the bathroom and this, that sound goes off and everybody checks their, their pocket at the same time because they all got the same ringtone. We're addic- they say there's a dopamine kick that happens every time one of those little things kicks off from your Twitter account, from your Facebook, from uh, for, uh, you know, any kind of forwarded information, pushed information. And now here's the thing. That's the revolution just taking us. But what if we could get engaged? What if instead of looking at this wave of revolution, 
as people on the beach, we could look at it like a surfer. Any surfers in the room? Throw your hands up real quick, you surfers. A few of you guys. What I love about surfers, you guys look radically different at the waves than anybody else. When you walk up to a huge surf, everybody else is like, whoa, I'd never go out there. Well, that's crazy. You're like holding the kids back from going in the water. And the surfer's like, that is an amazing opportunity. And they're ready with their board and they're ready to get out there and get into that dangerous wave because they have the tool ready to help them. They have a purpose and a different mindset. And what's going on is all of us, we want to just swim out there and we're like getting tossed by a giant wave when we could be prepared. We have like a surfboard helping us out. And I want to argue that today you need to begin the hard journey of building your surfboard with you and your family. I'm going to call it a family charter just for the sake of words. But if you're single, it can be a life charter for yourself. It can include your, your, your family beyond just your home. But my point is to call you to some kind of life charter, family charter that calls you to live in a purpose, to engage with technology and to engage this revolution so you are using it and it is not throwing you. And that's going to take some work. And, but it begins with this. It starts with an assessment of yourself. Starts with an assessment of yourself. Eventually, I will get there. Here we go. Whoops, I went too far. And so I want you to see this. Hold out, pull out your phones. Everybody grab your phone real quick. What I'm going to have you do is stand up, and you're all going to sit down as you tell me how much time you spent on your phone. So here we go. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. <laughs> But that phone is going to tell you how much time you spent. And that's your starter of your assessment. And when you look at that, it's going to tell you approximately how many hours just on your phone you've been. And it's going to give you a breakdown. You go to the breakdown. It's more important because sometimes you're using it for productivity and stuff like that. But I want you to look at how long have you been playing, you know, like Angry Birds. That's not even a thing anymore. Or how long have you been playing like I don't know, Candy Crush or whoever, whatever your favorite farm game or whatever. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that's out there anymore. And I want you to look how much time you've wasted on that Wordscape or you name it. And the point is that you need to examine, are you wasting time? Because God's called you to redeem it. How often, then stop and look at home. How often is that, is the, are those screens on while you're having family and mealtime? You're missing every opportunity to get to know each other and engage with one another. How often is that phone on in your car? Or how often is that screen on or that technology working in locations that you usually wouldn't want to be ignored? And hey, if you're, if you're having a struggle here, you'll understand this. Because your spouse is also having that same problem or your friend is also having that same problem. They'll be able to tell you. I see you always on your phone. I see you always doing this. And so you can hold each other accountable and point it out for each other. Now, you really know you have a problem when people have a pause button and your screen doesn't. Say, so what do you mean? Like this. Just happened last night after I preached this message, okay? Talking to somebody, I realized, oh, I'm going to forget this if I don't write it down in my, in my notes column to get it done. So while I'm talking to somebody, I pull out my phone and I start, and I do this. Hold on one second. And I type in my, I pressed pause. When did people get pause buttons? And in the meantime, my phone doesn't have a pause button. No, people don't have pause buttons. That phone will be there. That opportunity to write that in will be there. We have to learn to control ourselves, and then we can tell the screens what to do. But it starts with a strong assessment, and then we can move into a charter. And I want to challenge you that the best charter to form your charter off of is the charter that God gave to Israel. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
It's a charter given that shaped the family lives of every Israelite and from there shaped the very culture of the Israelites and fanned out from there. And it's found here in what is known as the Shema. It is a, it's a prayer Jewish people pray every morning and every evening. It is considered the charter of Israel in which they are setting up. This is how we will be as a people. And so Moses starts it off and he starts it off with a purpose. And that means you and I need to start with a purpose. We need to set out a purpose at the beginning. And this is how it reads. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now here's what he's saying. At the center of our purpose, at the center of who we are, is this one who is the Lord. Who's at the center of your family? Who's at the center of your life? Is it you? Is it your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend? Is it your children? Is it the screen? That's really the first step. You got to say, what is really at the center of my family? Am I pouring my time into it? If they said no, do I listen? If they want to do something, do I do it? And the center of the whole of us as Christians ought to be our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our Lord. He's the one we're following. He's the one we say we're students of him. He's the one teaching us about life, leading us in life. He is the centerpiece. He is our God. And so we put him at the center of it all. And then we give him everything. Our, our purpose statement should assume that we're pouring our life in this direction. Notice how he puts it. He says that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Now that's not just emotions. In the ancient Hebrew world, your heart was all your faculties that were aimed at making a decision. That meant your logic, your mental faculties, and your emotional faculties. Those go together. When they're integrated, it's powerful. When you feel like doing something and you know it's a good idea, man, you'll get it done. When we feel like something that's not true, that's when we're broken and it's not integrated. We want integrated thinking and feeling that work together, that forward. When you're worshiping, it's integrated thinking and feeling. All of this stuff goes together. And he says, you want to give all your decision-making power, all your decision-making faculties to the same direction. Go there after the Lord. Second, you want to give all of your physical and spiritual side. It says the soul. And you go, well, that's just the spiritual side, Greg. No, no, no. In fact, if you'll examine the word soul in the Hebrew, it will reference the spiritual, but then it more likely will reference your whole body. And why is because there wasn't a complete division between the two. You will, when, see, the Hebrews understood when I move my soul, my spirit, and I want my hand to move, guess what? My hand moves. Where my soul is, there and my body are integrated together. And what they're saying is whether it's a spiritual thing or you're just digging ditches, you are giving your whole soul to the Lord. And all that you do and everywhere that you go and all of your worship and all of your vocation, everything is done for the soul love of God. And you're going to do with everything you got. You're not going to leave anything behind. You're just going to lay it out after the Lord and run and charge after him. And that's the picture. Nothing in your life is laid behind when it comes to your purpose. You're giving everything to it. You're giving everything to the Lord who's at the center of it. And when that happens, that includes your technology. Nothing's left out. Just because technology shows up, we go like, oh, the purpose has changed. No, it hasn't. Technology is something you're going to wrap into it. It's something you're going to use. And once you know your purpose, once you understand what God's called you here for, then you're going to grab technology and it's going to be used in the direction that you're going. You've grabbed your surfboard, you jumped on the wave, and now you're going. Our family has one of these. My wife did it years ago. And we were working together on it and we've kind of refined it over the years. But it's come down to this, that in our family, we want to love God, we want to love each other, and we want to love other people. 
And we want to know what God's called us to do, and then we're going to do it. And that's been our combination for years. We're going to love God. We want to love each other because we need to differentiate that just because you got to love other people. Yes, kids, you got to love each other too. That's important. That's hard to do sometimes, but it's important. And we're going to love other people around us. And this has just guided the way that we've thought. In fact, what's interesting for us is we like technology and we use it for the sake of bringing out various aspects. For one, like we use a Bible app. Sometimes we'll play it in the morning and just lay, lay it out. And the kids are listening to the word of God just in the house as we're walking around. We've used it for the sake, like my kids come to lots of services because I'm the pastor. So for years, when they had one, they were in children's ministry, they'd go in my office and I'd turn on Right Now Media. I think they've seen every single VeggieTales, you know, you know, salty, I mean, you name it, everything's on this Right Now Media. They've seen everything that pertains to the Bible in cartoon version of some kind. When we're driving, we would put on things like Adventures and Odysseys so our children would get a different kind of storytelling from another angle or Lamplighter Theater. There's all these different amazing audio stories and stuff that are available from Christianity to foster in their hearts and their minds this biblical thinking. At the same time, my wife and I have used prayer apps and, and things to remind us to get into the Word of God. Some of you have used um, our online services when you've been sick to be able to watch at home so that you can stay engaged with your family and your community. All of this is because you aim the technology and not fear it, but to use it. And then you can tell it what to do instead of you it telling you what to do. Now, once you've begun to do that, you're going to move on from this idea of your purpose, because that's not all you need. You now want to work on your pillars. And what I want to talk about is you need to set out these pillars in your life. And these are the character things. Notice how Moses tells the people of Israel, it says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, the words he's going to command them is called Deuteronomy. That word uh, broken down is, 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 I believe it's Greek for the second law, Deuteronomy. The second time the law is going to be set. And so what he's saying is everything I command, all the law, I want you to put in your heart. I want you to put it into your decision-making apparatus, into your mind. I want you to memorize it. And whatever you decide to do, you're going to do it through that. Now, here's what's interesting. A lot, theologians have pointed this out for years. For centuries, we've known that the law is a representation of God's character. That when God gives you a, a law, it's coming from who he is and what he cares about and how he wants us to live. In essence, what this is saying is I want you to have God's character, which is exactly what you and I can have in Christ. Because he died on the cross and he bore our sins and he's given us his presence of his spirit. He lives in us. His character is with us. And that means you and I can have the character of Christ flow out of us. But it's important that we aim. It's important that we know them. So where do I get a character list of, of Christ's character attributes? Where do I get that? You already know most of them. We call them the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Isn't that what we want our kids to have? No? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I want them. You want them. Do you want them in your spouse? Amen. We want them all through us. And so I'd say start there. If you need some character things to work on, start with the fruit of the Spirit. Implement them at the pillars in your family. Then look at your purpose and add stuff. Our, one of our pillars that we've added in our family has been responsibility. We care that our children are being responsible. If they're going to know what God's called them to do and do it, then that means they've got to take hold of responsibility. And so in my family, one of the funny things that will happen is my kids will come downstairs. And this is usually my teenager. And they're like, oh, there's nothing made for breakfast. And I go, oh, I have a word for that. They hate this. Wah. That's my word. 
And, and literally, when I hear complaining, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I have a word for that. And they're like, shut up. And they like walk away because they know I'm not going to put up with the whining. I'm not going to put up with the complaining. Don't act like a baby. You're old enough. Get it done. Make your own breakfast. Make it happen. I almost said it in a staff meeting once. I'm so glad I didn't. That one has been so bad. Yeah, this didn't work. Well. Oh, I have a word for that. No, it's not, we're not going good. But responsibility for us is important along with, and so we also then want them to be responsible with their technology. So our aim is by the time they're 18, they have free reign of whatever technology they have because I'd rather them learn responsibility under my tutelage than often some college somewhere under somebody else's. So that's taught us how we're going to address this revolution amongst our parenting. And some of you guys are going, how? But there's other problems here, Greg. How do I need more information on this. And so I want to give you a resource real quick. Go back to last May. We did a series called Parenting Through the Phases. And one of those was on technology. You can re-listen to that one. You can get a hold of Gina and talk to our, our family ministry team. They've got books. They've got several different books and a lot of information to help you begin to make wise decisions on how to protect your children and how to release your children with technology. And guess what? It's very, very helpful. But these pillars, these character pillars will help you make these determinations. Another one for us is that we want our children to communicate. And so this has led us to make certain decisions. We don't want them to just stare at a screen. And so when people come over and we have, or when we have dinner at our table, it is a technology-free zone. Meals, no screens. TVs aren't near it. It's off. We make sure that ever, all those things are put away so we can talk to each other. You know what? You're like, That's, that, is that even possible? I don't even know if I want to talk to my kids. You know, that, I get that. But it's, been, it's borne a lot of fruit for us. Just last week, we had um, my niece over and a couple of her friends, and, she's, and they sat at our, at our dinner table, and for two hours, my four children all sat there with them and had a long conversation. And I was just like, this has, is so awesome. I'm so glad we shoved those screens away when it came to meals. And so this is, it works, it begins to build. But then there are times where we bring technology in. Like I look at my kids texting and, and I wanna hear them on their phone calls because I wanna help them make good conversations and not into, end up into some inane junior high text string that is just, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those, they make no sense. You gotta help kids know how to have conversations. And so you gotta engage and guide them. We also, my wife is very good at this. She'll turn to them and if they're playing a video game and somebody's coming to our house and knocks on the door, turn those off. Go say hi. At the end, when people are leaving, I don't care what you're doing, turn it off, get downstairs, and say goodbye to your cousins, to your friends, to whatever, because we want them to have real human communications. But this is guided because why? We want them to love others. Guided by our purpose, into our pillars, brings us about to produce something else, and that is setting out practices. You should instill on purpose certain practices you are going to do and you're going to commit to as a family. And these practices are built out so that they will shape things. Now notice how Moses says it here, beginning in verse 7. He says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. So there it is. Teach and talk. When you sit in your house, when you walk, by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Right here, first of all, your practices are going to be clear. You're going to do something. You're going to talk, or you're going to do something else. You're going to teach, and you're going to do it at a certain time. It's going to shape the time. Practices always shape time. And there's a rhythm here. There's a morning when you rise. There's a meal when you sit. 
There's a travel when you're on the way, and then there's a night when you lie down. And this is the rhythm that they put into the Israelite community. Up, travel, meal, night. And on and on and on. Morning, meal, travel, night. Morning, meal, travel, night. Every single day. Whenever they were traveling, they would talk about God and what he made and where it was. And you can do this, even with technology. You can invest this technology into these time periods that you're doing it on purpose. Hey, you want to have a time where you're really talking? Then push the technology out. Make sure that meal is clear. Make sure it's off on the drive. One of the intentional practices I do with my daughter when I drop her off at school because we're going down the canyon and it's trafficy is for 30 minutes on the drive, we talk. How are you doing? What's going on in your day? What did you learn at school? What are you worried about? How's, you know, what's going on this week? And we will get into this conversation. Sometimes she doesn't want to talk, and so we'll turn on a podcast for the news because she loves listening to it. Invariably, the second I press play on the podcast, she's like, I have nine things I want to tell you. And then we turn her right back off. But what would happen if I never built that principle into my life, if I didn't have that practice in there? Man, I would have missed out on so much time to talk and help shape and care about my daughter and pray with her. And that's the same thing that's true for you guys. How often do we get in cars and we just plug the kids in because then they won't bother us? But we've missed out on the conversation that occurs. And so even on travel and when we're doing long travels, we'll make sure that that is like they give, we give them space for time on, with technology. But then there's other time where we're just talking. Maybe we'll talk about what we just listened to or what we see outside or how boring this actually is. Or did you know mom's deathly afraid of a police officer and there's one right over there? That kind of fun stuff. And so we'll engage in these kind of conversations. But again, your practices will shape your time. They should shape days. They should shape weeks. They should shape months, even years. You know, maybe once a month, you need to have a day where you're not, where you're doing no technology, where you're all getting out there doing a what's your beef. You ever heard of a what's your beef? You gather your family together. Everybody goes and gets what they want. You come back, no technology allowed. And you ask one question. What is it that's broken in our family that you'd like to fix? Or what is something that I've done that you need, you would like to see changed? And you open up the dialogue and you let your kids talk and you talk and it, it's, it's dangerous, but it's awesome at the same time. Maybe once a year you're spending, I, I would recommend at least twice a year, you spend a week on a fast at minimum away from social media and your screens. Just use it as a phone if you need it, but you don't need to be on anything else. And just tell everybody, hey, I'm off this week. See you later when I'm, on, when I'm back from the dark. What it does is it detoxes you. When we've done this, it literally, it detoxes you. Like for the first like three days, everybody's like, I need a screen, or a screen, on a screen. And then suddenly you realize there are other humans around. You're like, why are these humans in my house? Get out of here. And it's like, you're all mad at each other. And, just, and then by about the fourth day, everybody's like, oh, I love you. I've missed you so much. And it's like, it's all good. But I guarantee you, the detox is real. And if you spend the time at it, you will see that God begins to re-bring you back to space that you forgot you had. It'll shape your time. The practices also shape your space. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your home and on the house and on your gates. So think about this. They were found. The word of God was found everywhere in the house. It was located on, on writings and stuff. The same way you can do this with technology today. You can let that app play as you're listening to it. According to that purpose, there's a practice. You guys can spend time where maybe nobody can read real well, but you can read it. And, or maybe you want them to be creative. Maybe instead it shapes the space by getting rid of the technology in one area and putting all art supplies in the center because you want your kids to be creative. Or putting a music room together where we don't play music in the room in the sense of like, play it off the MP3. You're going to play the music yourself. 
Go in there and make a mess. Figure it out. We're going to learn. Or maybe it's somewhere that you guys want the garage so you can work on stuff. You can design, build things, whatever it is, whatever God's called for you guys. Maybe it's the sports equipment is right there available. So they'll go in the backyard and go take it immediately. Maybe it's because you want them to do that. Like my son with soccer, he jumped on YouTube. And the one time we're like, yeah, go ahead. And he searched up all the different soccer drills that he could do. And he started practicing soccer drills from the YouTube video. Five minutes of video turned into four hours of a ball being kicked against my wall. It was great. But it worked. And he developed something. And this is the point. You don't have to fear technology. With a purpose, with your pillars, and with particular practices, you have formed yourself a surfboard. And yeah, are you going to get on that board the first time and ride it perfectly? Never. You're going to fall off and get back on You're going to get tumbled and bumbled a bit. Get back up. Get back on your purpose. Get back into your pillars. Get back towards those practices and keep pressing. In the next decade, it's going to grow. It's going to change. But with a purpose, we can be able to take it and think about how this wave is coming. We can use it appropriately and engage it in a manner that we begin to make a difference. Now, check this out. At some point, this will become part of your family that what you'll start posting on on your social media oftentimes will be your purpose. It'll be your, the pillars. You'll see the character in your kids. You'll want to talk about it. You're talking about a practice that you guys have been doing, how special it was and how exciting it was. You know what happens? People follow those kind of things. They like, and the people my wife follows, the people my wife watches, all have a purpose and a reason for being on social media. And it all aims back to their personal purposes, their family plans, all this stuff. That's how you lead in a revolution. That's how we lead through this transformation and not get drowned by it. Have a purpose. Set up a charter. It's going to be hard work, but it's going to be worth it. And it will help you as this revolution heats up and continues to change our society. You'll be prepared because you will be ready with God at the center of your purpose to glorify him in your family and in your own life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those who are here today. And I just pray that maybe if there is some, some of us that are, are are helped by this, that you would give us the power and the courage to step out and begin to do this hard work. Lord, I pray you would remind us during the week and you'd bring it back to our hearts that we would set a time down and engage by producing this kind of charter, God, because we don't want to allow this revolution to take us, but instead we want to surf it, Lord. We want to use it for your kingdom. Please help us. Help us to keep our eyes focused on you. Help us to get engaged in this way that the technology around us is something that can be used for your glory. We ask that you'd help us be a blessing to this earth. And I pray that you would bless this congregation for that. In Jesus' name, amen.